0: Today's reading is taken from Zechariah, and it starts on page 961 of the Church Bibles in front of you. So Zechariah, chapters 7 and 8, that's 961 of the Church Bibles. Chapter 7, starting at verse 1, in the fourth year of King Darius... The word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Shereza and Regimelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of Hosts and the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month, as I have done so for many years? Then the word of the Lord of Hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and in the seventh for these seventy years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities round her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention, and turned a stubborn shoulder, and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate. So that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the, word, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous, of her, jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of great age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it is marvelous. If it is marvellous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvellous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts Let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words. From the mouth of the prophets, who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor, but now I will not deal with the remnant of this people, as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, As I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true, and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth month, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favour of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favour of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you.
1: And if you've closed your Bible, then please open it on page 961, Zechariah, chapters 7 and 8. It's a good discipline for us to have our Bibles open so we can follow what the preacher is saying. And make sure that they are being faithful to what God is saying. And then why don't I pray for us. Heavenly Father, we praise you very much that you are indeed the God of gods, the King of kings, and Lord of lords. And thank you that you graciously speak to us through the Bible. So we pray this morning, please grant us understanding. We pray for humble hearts and minds. We pray that you would teach us, rebuke us, correct us. And equip us to live for you. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, my aim this morning is for each of us to return to God. To do so not in outward obedience, not in conformity to others, but in our hearts committed to God and committed to what God is doing in his world. Because those of us who have been following Zechariah for the last three weeks will will know now that Zechariah is a book about returning to God. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3. Remember, God says, return to me and I will return to you. Wonderfully, God will have us. It's why he says, I will return to you. We saw, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago, that uh, in in chapter 3, that through the death of Jesus... God will forgive those who trust in him. He will remove our sin and iniquity. He will do so in a single day. God will have us back, but we need to come back to him. Which is why God says, return to me. It is, if you like, the language of the the U-turn. A sort of friend of ours had to do a few weeks ago. She drove to, to Wales for her, her holiday. She'd driven along the M4 out of London, over the River Severn. And after about half an hour, 45 minutes or so, she stopped for coffee. Having refueled and recharged, she got back on the motorway. And it was only after she had crossed the River Severn again that she realised she was heading in the wrong direction. At that point, a U-turn was required. So then, that is my aim this morning for each of us to return to God, not in outward obedience, not in conformity to others, but in our hearts, committed to God and committed to what God is doing in His world. Now, these two chapters of Zechariah, chapters 7 and 8, they, they, they're, they're very much the heart of the book. We've seen the first six chapters, eight visions, all about what God is doing in His world chapters 9 to the end of the book are two speeches from God again what God is doing in his world and these two chapters in the middle chapters 7 and 8 are all about how we should respond to what God is doing in his world to respond from our hearts so then you'll see an outline on the back of the server sheet for those who are terrified of diagrams, don't worry about the diagrams we'll come to those later on First of all, return to God inwardly, not outwardly. Return to God inwardly, not outwardly. Chapter 7. Now, in verses 1 to 3, a delegation comes and asks whether it's still appropriate to fast. Have a look at verse 2. Now, the people of Bethel had sent Shereza and melech and their men to entreat the favour of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets... Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month, as I have done for so many years? Now, we're told in verse 1, it's now the fourth year of King Darius. In other words, it's 518 BC. We're two years further on than we have been in the first six chapters of the book. The temple building won't be complete for another two years, but nonetheless, it is well on. To being completed. And it raises this question: is it still appropriate for God's people to be fasting as they did during the exile? Verse 5, if you look at it, shows they've been fasting twice a year, a sign of mourning for their sin, as they've experienced God's judgment. And the question now is, of course, now the exile has finished, now that the temple is well on its way to being rebuilt. Now that God is clearly blessing his people, is fasting an appropriate thing to do? Well, God's answer, it's not what they do that matters, but their heart attitude towards him. Now, I take it that is something which we find it very difficult to get our heads around. That God is much more interested in the sort of person that I am towards him than in what we do for him. God is much more interested in the sort of person I am before him than in what I do for him. You see, just look at the questions God asks in verses 4 to 6. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Can you see what God is saying? Their fasting is just as self-centred as their feasting. Far from expressing uh, sorrow for their sin, they're simply fasting to feel good about themselves. You see, it looks on the outside as if they've returned to God, but the God who sees their hearts... And they haven't really returned to him at all. It's very easy, isn't it, to confuse the external with the internal. Uh, To look on the outside, perhaps to look to others, as if we've returned to God. But actually we haven't at all on the inside. Perhaps to look very busy serving God, doing things at church. But actually, we're just doing it to feel good about ourselves. It doesn't flow from a heart that's returned to God. Or perhaps to go to a Bible study, and it's all about serving ourselves, having our questions answered, uh, raising again and again and again the same thorny issues, or just going to increase our understanding and intellectual exercise. But our hearts are far from God. Or perhaps uh, on a Sunday morning at church. Again, it can be very easy. It can very easily be all about ourselves. Asking, what did I get out of it? How did I feel? Did it make me feel good? Did it satisfy me? Just like the fasting in Zachariah's day. Wanting to feel good about ourselves rather than actually returning to God in our hearts. It explains, of course, doesn't it, why, why Christians who perhaps appear to be going well can then make what we feel are very foolish decisions like uh, moving out of London for example and not giving any serious thought to whether there is a good faithful church which they can go to and then five years down the track they're no longer really living for Christ now why does that happen and having lived in London for 13 years it happens again and again and again why does it happen well, I presume because although outwardly they had returned to God, it looked as if they'd returned to God, they hadn't done inwardly. And all along, what they are really living for was the lifestyle. God wants us to return to Him on the inside. The story is told of a child sitting in the back of a car on a long journey. The child is bored. And so decides to create his own entertainments by standing up on the back seat. The mother tells the child to sit down. The child doesn't. So again, the mother says, sit down. The child doesn't. Eventually, the father shouts, will you sit down? Will you behave and do what your mother tells you to do? Well, there's a long pause. The child sits down. A few minutes later, a little voice is heard from the back of the car. I may be sitting on the outside but I'm not sitting on the inside. Perhaps some of us can relate to that kind of journey. But God wants us to return to him on the inside. In Zechariah chapter 7, we see two marks of what that looks like, of a heart that is returned to God on the inside. The first is in verses 8 to 10 and it's our godly attitude towards others. Have a look at verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart." The mark of having returned to God, says God, is not your outward religious observance, but the quality of our relationships with others. In a Bible study situation, not asking clever questions, but loving others and serving the group. On a Sunday, coming to church, uh, not to feel good about ourselves or to increase our Bible knowledge, but to love, to serve, to welcome, to encourage those who are here. The other mark of returning to God is that we listen to God. Verse 11 But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear. So they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. Now, Zachariah here is talking about the previous generation who experienced God's judgment in exile. They turned their backs on God, they put their fingers in their ears, their hearts were diamond hard. It's a pretty good way, isn't it, to ensure we won't listen to someone. It's a good way of ensuring we won't listen to God. I take it's an issue for each one of us this morning. All of us look as if we are listening this morning. Only one or two of us, I think, would actually nod off during a sermon. But, of course, the real issue is not do we look as if we are listening, but are we really listening in our hearts? And verse 12 is an important reminder of how God speaks to us today. I wonder if you spotted it, verse 12 lest they hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts has sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. How does God speak? God speaks his words to us by his Spirit through the prophets, those who wrote the Old Testament. And the same is true of the New Testament. It's what is technically known as the inspiration of Scripture. The Apostle Peter says the same thing. I put 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 there on the outline. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There was an interview with Boris Johnson, the Mayor of London, in one of the papers recently. Now, not way that he's a Christian, certainly not in the sense of someone who has really returned to God, but he was talking about faith and in his faith in the rather kind of general, abstract way in which public figures like to do so. And this is what he said. I suppose my own faith is a bit like trying to get virgin radio when you're driving through the Chiltern Hills, which I guess you do if you have a a constituency which used to be in Henley. It sort of comes and goes. Sometimes the signal is very strong, and then sometimes I'm afraid it just vanishes, and then it comes back again. Well, perhaps some of us can relate to what Boris Johnson is saying. Maybe that you feel that God is far away from you this morning. Maybe that some of us feel God isn't listening to us this morning. Well, what does God say to us when we feel like that about God? Isn't it very striking? Verses 11 to 13. What does God say? Well, will you listen to him? You see, it's not that the signal come and goes. No, this book, the Bible, is God speaking to us, God addressing to us, uh, God addressing us, God addressing us as our lives are now in the situations we face, our, we face. The issue is, will we listen to God and return to him, not outwardly, but inwardly? Now, I think all of us need to grasp this. God is not interested in shiny people who look respectable on the outside. And, of course, a place uh, like this particular corner of London is full of people, isn't it, who are shiny on the outside. And the church often gives that impression that we need to kind of brush ourselves up and polish our shoes before God will have anything to do with us. Perhaps you're here this morning and actually you're thinking to yourself, well, my life is, is not at all together. I'm not remotely shiny. Will God ever have me. I could never be a Christian. Well that rather misses the point because God sees our hearts. He knows that however shiny we are on the outside inwardly all of us need to return to him. And wonderfully he will have us. Or perhaps we're here and we've been a Christian for some time, as many of us have, God is warning us. Can we see the warning against going through the motions, coming to church, we know the songs, we may even be involved in teaching the Bible to others. But outside of church, actually, it may be that our lives are not pleasing to God, and we're more interested in picking holes in the sermon rather than listening to God, and serving ourselves rather than loving and serving others. Return to God inwardly, not outwardly. Secondly, return to God, committed to his purposes for his world. Zechariah chapter 8. Now, Zechariah chapter 8, the issue is still uh, fasting, but there's a far bigger thing going on, uh, looking at these chapters together, uh, that I just want us to grasp. So have a look at the last verse of chapter 7 for a moment. As God says of that generation who went into exile, and I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. God scattering. And now look over the page chapter 8, verse 8. And I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. What is God saying? I scattered them to exile to the nations, and now I'm bringing them back. And that, if you like, is the movement of these two chapters, God scattering and God bringing back. And chapter 8 contains a series of nine promises about what God will do for Jerusalem and for his people as he gathers them. Each one is introduced with the phrase, thus says the Lord of hosts. The first one is there in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with a great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. What is God saying? He hasn't become tolerant of the nations that sent Israel into exile. He hasn't rejected his people. No, he is fiercely loyal to them. What's more, verse 3, God has returned to Jerusalem. We saw last week that's the significance of the temple being rebuilt. So, now verses 4 and 5, God promises that once again Jerusalem will be prosperous. These are great pictures of prosperity, verse 4. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. No longer will there be war. Jerusalem will be peaceful as one generation follows the next. There will be old people who live. And therefore, what is God doing now? Verse 7, I will save my people from the east and from the west. I'll bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. He's going to gather his people. Indeed, verse 13, as you've been a byword of cursing among the nations, so House of Judah and House of Israel so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, let your hands be strong. And verse 19, their mourning in fasting will turn to rejoicing. The fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah, seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. And then look on to Verse 20, which is very much the climax, this last paragraph, the climax of the chapter. Verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favour of the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going, people from all nations, coming in to Jerusalem on an unprecedented scale. Verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. It's a wonderful picture. I wonder if you can feel the force of it. God gathering people from the nations to come into his city, Jerusalem. In fact, this idea of gathering people from the nations is one of the great themes of the Bible. That's why I put Ezekiel 34 there on the outline. Don't look it up now, but you could look it up uh, later on, where again we see God is committed to gathering people to himself from the nations. However, there is a difference between the gathering God did in the Old Testament and the gathering God does now, which I've tried to represent in that diagram. If you don't like diagrams, uh, don't look at the page, just listen to me. If you do like diagrams, then uh, look at the page. Because in the Old Testament, God's concern for the nations was expressed in his choosing a people, Israel, and in the heart of the nation lay Jerusalem, and in the heart of Jerusalem lay the temple. And so when Zechariah anticipates God gathering the nations... It is that they'll come in to Jerusalem, which is why the arrow there is pointing inwards to Jerusalem. Now, in the New Testament, that pattern is reversed. God's concern for the nations is seen in the apostles go out to the nations with the message of Jesus. As Jesus says at the end of Matthew's Gospel, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Which is why in the second diagram, the arrow is pointing outwards. It's just what we see, isn't it, in the book of Acts, as the message of Jesus goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Rome and to the ends of the earth. And we're given a wonderful picture of what that gathering looks like ...in Revelation chapter 7. Why don't you just keep a finger in Zechariah. So our one cross-section, cross-reference for uh, this morning. Revelation uh, chapter 7 on page 1240. <clears throat> Which just helps us to see that this, this promise of God gathering in Zechariah chapter 8, is not God gathering to the the literal city of Jerusalem as it is now, but is anticipating heaven and the new creation. So Revelation chapter 7, have a look at verse 9. After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here are God's people gathered from every nation, not in the temple in Jerusalem, but in the new creation, before the Lord Jesus in heaven. You and I live in an age... When God is gathering the nations to himself. Indeed, the fact that we are gathered here this morning is, uh, demonstrates that, doesn't it? Who would have thought, if you were Zachariah, that people way up in, in England would be gathered together as God's people? Not to mention the many others from the nations who are also gathered here this morning. God's purposes are being accomplished. And of course our little gathering here this morning simply is simply a little, little foretaste of that gathering around the throne in heaven. When all the people who have put their trust in Jesus, from every nation, will be gathered there. So then how should we respond? Well, will turn back to Zechariah chapter 8 and let's see how... To, How God wanted people to respond in Zechariah's day. Zechariah 8, verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets, who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid. End of verse 13. Fear not. Let your hands be strong. They're to get on with building the temple. They're to be committed to God's purposes for his world, because God is committed to his purposes for his world. In New Testament terms, we're to be committed to building God's church. Not a literal, physical building, but building his people. uh, Promoting the gospel here, overseas, Reclaiming Christ and living for Christ. And committed to that above everything else. Now, as Bruce said at the beginning, today is uh, Grace Church's fifth birthday. Well, this is a great message from God, isn't it? For a church on its fifth birthday. So I want to finish by addressing four types of people here this morning. First of all, to those who are committed to building God's church, to promoting the gospel in whatever way we can. Keep at it. Yes, it's costly, it's sacrificial, in time, in energy, resources. But it's what God is committed to. In other words, you're not going to look back on your life and think to yourself, well, frankly, why on earth did I give myself to that? I wish I'd bought a luxury yacht instead and spent my retirements, or my you know, 40s and 50s, or whatever it is, on that. Secondly, to those who are perhaps rather anxious or fearful about giving ourselves to being wholeheartedly committed to building the church, promoting the gospel in whatever way we can. Uh, perhaps we're worried about inviting someone to that guest event next week, a bit uncertain about what they might feel. Perhaps we're anxious about doing something like uh, leading a Bible study or or in Sunday club that we've been asked to do. Perhaps uh, some of us have been asked to consider full-time Christian ministry, but actually we're worried about that. We're worried about what it might involve. But be encouraged. We're not on our own. This is the very thing God is committed to doing. Which means, of course, we can be committed to it as well. You see, God's great project of gathering people to himself is not like the Commonwealth Games, where the project is unfinished, nor rather embarrassing. You know, perhaps you can imagine some poor Indian construction worker, he's been labouring away f- f- for months, uh, trying to build the venue and the accommodation and all the rest of it. And frankly, it's all pretty disappointing, and he's thinking to himself, why on earth have I wasted my time on this? But no, God is committed to building his church, to bringing in multitudes from all nations to his new creation, which means we can be committed to it as well, and to be committed to it with real confidence. Now, God doesn't uh, promise that a particular person we invite to a guest event will become a Christian. But we do know that God is committed to having great numbers from all nations in the new creation. Thirdly, to those who, well, frankly, our main thing in life is elsewhere, and we know we've wandered away from God. What is God's message to you this morning? It is come back. God is calling you back to return to him and to be committed to what he is committed to. We live, most of us, don't we, in a part of London where people come to live To settle down, to have a comfortable life. Now that is a very dangerous place, isn't it? For someone who's following Jesus to live in. Because of course the great danger is that we'll do the same. Settle down, just live a comfortable life. But you see, look on a few years, what do you want to be said at your funeral? That you just lived a comfortable life? Or you're just part of the rat race like everyone else? Or do you want it to be said that you gave yourself wholeheartedly to the thing that God is committed to doing? Building his church, promoting the gospel. Finally, the fourth type of person. You're not a Christian. You're not yet trusting in Jesus. We are delighted you're here this morning. But if that is you, can you see that God wants you to return to him? And wonderfully, he will have you. So will you listen? And will you return? Let's pray together. And I'll bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem... And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Heavenly Father, we we praise you for your great plan for your world, for people gathered from every nation, those who have put their trust in Christ, gathered around the throne of heaven. We thank you that as we uh, look at our world, that this is the great thing that you are doing, building your church And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we ourselves would be committed uh, to that. We're we're sorry when we're not. We confess when we're easily distracted and give ourselves to other things. And we pray that the promotion of the gospel, of the message of Jesus, would be the one thing we are committed to above all else. We pray that would be true for us individually. We pray that it would be true for us as a church family.